Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hey, what's up, Jen? Nothing much. How you feeling? You know, still COVID. Yeah. I go ahead. You guys, I was gonna say COVID's still handing you your ass. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it boggles. Yeah, I still have a weird cough. (laughs) You know, I didn't get a cough. No, sure, I'll develop it. Right. (laughs) I was I was driving the other day, and man, it is freaking winter. One, it's cold out. Two, all the trees are starting to turn. It's almost your favorite time. It is. I've been watching, actually, it's scary movie time. I've been watching scary movies since the end of August. I just went in early this year. Where are you watching them at? Honestly, on all the apps. Oh, there we you just go. watched, um, this morning we watched Saturday the 14th on Freebie. It's this corny, scary movie that came out in 1981. Oh, is it like Friday the 13th? Yeah, but it's like a little cornier. It's about this about this couple that move into like basically a cursed house with real monsters in it. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, very, very 1981. And one of the main characters is uh, one of the girls that played one of the daughters on Give Me a Break. Oh, okay. Yeah, your brother's like I know her from somewhere. <laughs> Just give me a break. You and your corny B movies. I do like them, you know that. So today I'm going to talk about Sylvia Torgo, T-O-R-G-O, or T-O-R-G-O-W, and (laughs) Michigan Escapees. What are you going to talk about? I am going to do, I've changed it several times since I talked to you. (laughs) Um, I did, I was, I was going to do one set in Florida, but I ended up. I'm going to do a murder in Detroit from a man named William Gray that was murdered. And I'm telling you, I felt like this case was solved by, you know, obviously the police, but everybody around William was giving the police information. Like I have never seen more cooperative people in my life. As hmm. far as they're like, this is what I know. I heard this. I heard that. I mean, it's very cooperative. Oh, you want me to go first or you first? But, no, you go ahead and go first. So in 1970, Sylvia was sentenced to two to four years in prison for credit card theft. She had committed this in 1969. Oh. Her sentence was in April of 1970. And on September 17, 1970, Serving approximately five months, she escaped from the Huron Valley Complex for Women. She was 18 at the time of her escape. Wow. In a wicked horror news article, which is a great site. Okay. So jot that down. Okay. They they write about Little Miss Lake Panofsky. P-A-N-A-S-O-F-F-K. K-E-E. Okay. In February 1971, just outside of Tampa, a woman was found dead floating in the lake. 
She was murdered by strangulation, estimated age 17 to 24. And based on the decomposition, they believed she had been dead for a few weeks. The reason they thought it could be Sylvia was because Sylvia was originally from Florida. Okay. So she had family and stuff in Florida. So she might go back that way. Right. But did she go to Florida and was she murdered was now the question. But fast forward to 2012, they did a DNA analysis on the body that was found. And she was from Southern Europe, most likely Greece. Okay. The case was, this case was on Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. And they found that since it was most likely Greece, when they did that, they put out on Greece has their own missing person television show. They put her out there. They did get leads, but the case went unsolved still to this day. So they don't know who this lady is. Oh, wow. And along with Sylvia, she has not been found. If she is alive, she would be around 70 years old. Okay. But all of this made me look into how many people have a, are like listed as escapees from Michigan prisons. Okay. That have never been found. Okay. And on the MDOC website, it lists 27 people, six being women, and no one for, you know, serious stuff, no murders. These people okay. were in jail for. Medicaid fraud, possession of controlled substance, uttering and publishing, breaking and entering. We're talking all like not that many years. Okay, not high level shit. Right. Okay. So they all, but still they chose to escape. And the thing that stuck out to me is that at this moment, all of the listed escapees, if still are alive, are all senior citizens aging from 60 to 87. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, they don't have anyone recent. And then I'm like, how do you not have any escapees still? Like, do you find them? I mean, they have people escape and you found them. And I read an article where it said to reduce escapees in Michigan, they started to make the prisons more secure. And in the 2000s, they started to shut down low security prisons Um. in their community correction centers. And I'm like, what's that? Which those community correction centers were places where they held those who were eligible and in the process of being paroled. So if you were being paroled, they would move you to this community center. Okay. That obviously doesn't have great security. And well, honestly, these people are fucking idiots. You're about to be paroled. Right. I escape. I have. They're obviously not putting like the genius group there. You're so (laughs) dumb. Right. Prisoners who are, you know, listed the out of the 27, you don't actually know other than Sylvia, because I found that information out that she did actually escape from the the prison. 
Yeah. Most of their escapees don't escape from the actual prison, like jump over the wall. Yeah. Those, they're, they're people that were on parole are considered an escapee. So they're these so twenty dumb. these twenty seven could have actually like one person been on parole. They don't separate it. Uh, well, it could have came from one of their community centers, their low um, security prison, right. their regular or prison, even a parolee that or a parolee. Jump. Yeah, jeez. And they don't tell you that anywhere because I looked a couple of them up. Like, how okay. do you know where did they escape from? It, yeah. They actually don't tell you. Oh no shit. But they do like, keep yes. they do <laughs> keep uh they do keep a record. Okay. They're just not sharing. Yeah. So I went down a lot of rabbit holes trying to find okay. information on some of the other ones, but they're so old. And then I just thought to myself, wow, all of your listed escapees are senior citizens. Like when are you gonna take those off your list? I know. Do you wait till it says they're hundred years old and you're like, okay, probably dead. Right. Are you gonna like are you gonna go like find that guy that's eighty seven? Maybe still alive? Like, yeah, right. Are you even looking? Why Probably do you not. list them? Yeah. Uh, maybe they have to like some by law have to list people or whatever. So that was interesting. And the fact that it's like all right, uttering and publishing and you're gonna escape. Like just finish your whole two years. Yeah, you that was so dumb. So dumb. Like parole is nothing you just did your time you're so stupid <laughs> and there's nothing you know if anyone has escaped they've obviously been found because there is absolutely nobody recent yeah these yeah, are no all, these are all old so maybe in the 70s they had some problems yeah 60s and 70s <laughs> and then started to you know maybe we should change some stuff but they didn't do that till the community centers and stuff like that until 2000 so Wow. People are done. Well, maybe also people realize like if you just fucking wait, you can go on parole. You don't have to be on the run for the rest of your life. Or like that young woman die, maybe. Maybe. Right. Get murdered. Yeah. So the one that I did was from a show called Murder Tapes. And this is called Twisted Upside Down. And the Murder Tapes, they show a lot of like camera footage is their thing. And I also read this MLive article by this guy named Ryan Boldry. And props to them. They don't even try to tell you where Kalamazoo is. Okay. They just say it's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And the show starts with them showing like this aerial view of a wintry Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you can hear a man talking to a woman like over the phone. And he's saying that there's this detective that he trusts and that he would vouch for the detective. And he's asking the woman to talk to him about what she knows because they're looking for a body. And in her, her answers, you could tell that she is clearly scared and distressed, like, very scared mm -hmm. and the person that they have you know how they usually on the show have someone talk about oh what they were like the person they have is kenneth anderson and he said he's known um the victim whose name is william gray he calls him bill since junior high when they dated each other's sisters and one of kenneth's brothers ended up wearing marrying one of william's sisters so they stayed close throughout adulthood and he said william was known for like cooking a big barbecue and sharing it with people around him who needed it and Kenneth spoke very highly, very lovingly of William. So the show tells you that the case started when a woman called about an elderly man, William Gray, that she thinks was either beaten or killed. And when speaking to the people who knew William, um, a close friend was interviewed. So after hearing that William might be harmed, 
The police check the local hospitals and William Gray isn't listed as a patient, so they go to his home. And William lives into what I refer to as a house apartment. I think we've already had a report. That's when someone takes a really large home and they divide it into independent apartments. Yep. So, yeah. So they go up to his apartment door. They knock on it. They don't come. Nobody comes. So they have to wait for the landlord to come let him in because there's no reason to go in right now by law. So while the police are sitting at William's house, two women walk up. One says she's looking for her dad who's been missing for a couple of days. And because she's, she's concerned because her dad, William, always answers his phones and he has more than one phone because he's a loan shark and being able to stay connected to people was part of his business. And another issue was that William had not picked up payments from people that owed him in the last few days. And that's a big red flag, right? That's how he makes his money. Mm-hmm. So William was known to carry large sums of money while traveling through town and his car has been missing for the last two days. So while they're waiting, William's neighbor, Gordon, comes by to talk to the police. He's saying that he heard William, he heard talk about William being dead and that he's somewhere in the trunk of his own car. So now the detectives are like, oh, we have to look to see, you know, how many vehicles does he have? Where might he be? And all of a sudden Gordon's like, oh, he drives a white Chevy Malibu built in 2009. And they were like, oh, okay. I mean, like these people are so cooperative and providing information. Right now the police know that there's something wrong because somebody did call. You know what I mean? Right. So the landlord arrives to let the police into William's home. And once in the department, the, the officers are like, nothing seems to be out of place. However, there's this female neighbor who kind of like lets herself in. And she's like, no, there's stuff missing. She's like, I used to come over here a lot. And she starts to say, okay, there's a table that used to be here that's missing. There's a cooler that used to be here that's missing. And she's like, you know, I used to sit here. I'm not sure what's over there, but there used to be something there, you know, blah, blah, blah. So like, oh, stuff is missing. So the woman neighbor tells the police that William had a girlfriend named Mariah. And she said, William and Mariah like to drink and they often started fighting. A third neighbor approaches the police as they're leaving. And he says that he heard the night before that William was dead in the trunk of his car somewhere. And the cops are like, who'd you hear it from? Will you call that person? And the neighbor's like, yeah, I'll call and see. So the guy calls the friend who he heard the rumor from. And that guy's like, you know, I heard this rumor from my aunt. And my aunt said the car was somewhere on Burdick Street near Crosstown. And he's like, okay, so that neighbor gives the police the name and the number of the friend who gives them the information. He also, um, the friend also says to the neighbor, I heard that William was killed with a knife. So the police start to do a grid search looking for a car, but the, they're actually hampered by a heavy recent snow. So they couldn't, they're having a hard time seeing what color are the cars, what are their license plates, to figure out what it is. So they're also looking for Mariah, his girlfriend, her friend Jules, does come to the station to speak to the detectives. So Jules is Mariah's, um, William's girlfriend's friend. Jules tells the detectives about an incident that happened the night that William was probably murdered. She said they were drinking at William's house and people that she didn't know came in. And she had such like a terrible sense of foreboding that she calls her boyfriend to come and get her around midnight. And the cops were like, so you left at midnight? And she was like, yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable with the people who were there. Now, Jules said that she heard William was at the party with Mariah and that somebody robbed William. And Jules had heard that he that William was badly injured and in the hospital. But she also said she hadn't heard from Mariah since that night. So she's like, my friend Mariah hasn't talked to me since then. So detectives then speak to this woman named Sarah. They think that William might have been robbed at Sarah's house which is a house, which is a different type of large house setup. It's the one where the like individual rooms are rented. It's a very large home and people rent individual rooms. So she lets the detectives into the main house 
and they start to look around and the house smells like it had been recently cleaned with pine saw, like heavy cleaning smells. And they let her know, like, look, because you're in this house, you can be connected to this homicide. The officers then find a locked room and they learn that that room is where Mariah lives. That's William's girlfriend. And there's a red stain on the doorknob to Mariah's room. And there's trace amounts of blood like splatter found on the walls, on the floors, on, on um, some objects, despite the recent cleanup. And in the garage, there was a, a bloodstained carpet that looked like it had recently been ripped up from the floor and then rolled up for storage. It has yeah, a giant stain on it. They also found paint cans that had recently been used to paint the walls inside the house. So next, the detective speak to Lance. That's a friend of William's. Lance says, hey, the last time we were together, William picked me up, dropped me off at the store. And they're like, uh, let me check. He goes, go ahead and check. You can check the there's cameras at the store. So they look. Sure enough, that's what happens. And Lance says, around this time, William's phone goes from ringing to straight to voicemail. So now they have like a closer timeline. They're like, all right. Lance also gives detectives the information that he heard a man named San Jose had a grudge against William. He was behind bars for unrelated charges at that time during the investigation. So, but they're like, well, let's just ask him. So during the questioning, San Jose says he did get into a fight with William, but he immediately left the house. And the next day, William said that he was missing his wallet and San Jose was getting blamed. And he's like, I didn't steal it. So San Jose claims to have not stolen the wallet and the detective detectives names like other people who were there at the party. And one of the people they mention is Australia White. And she has an extensive Willite, sorry, Willheit. She has an extensive criminal record and that includes like assaults and the detectives are able to ping her phone and see that she's like within one mile of the headquarters. The detectives get a search warrant for the home that she's in and they go, I'm going to mock the shit out of Kalamazoo police right now. Okay. Okay. They're like, well, she might have a weapon. You know, she has assaults on her record. They go full SWAT. What? Helicopters a dog and they're like well we're doing this for like efficiency and safety but it looked like a waste of money anyway nothing major happened <laughs> 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 they took her into custody and all that shit they find her identification Allie, it's find- safety first i know right <laughs> i know i was like the helicopter you guys just wanted to play with it didn't you <laughs> <laughs> they find um, you know just her id they find some recreational drugs they find multiple cell phones and they do find a knife in the couch cushions it's one of those folding knives so Australia refuses to talk to detectives without a lawyer present. And that's when a new person arrives at the police station. It's a woman named Nikki. Now she was at the party the night William went missing. She did not leave. She stayed. They're drinking all night. And she also felt uncomfortable with the people that was there. So she goes upstairs and she lies down. And when she wakes up, she hears short shouting and stuff. But she said, hey, that's pretty normal. And then she said, although she didn't witness anything that night, Somebody is harassing her by repeatedly calling her phone and like threatening her. And the detectives think that Nikki knows more than she's willing to tell them and that the caller is trying to intimidate her into being quiet. The detectives then lie to Nikki and the way they tried to word it in the show, they're like, I don't know. They tried to say that not say word lie, but they lie. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. lied to her and say that, well, we interviewed everybody else from the party that night and you're the only one whose story isn't lining up. And she honestly does fall for it. The detectives question Nikki, like, did you kill William? Did you see what happened after he was beaten up? And they also tell her that, you know, we can use your cell phone to trace your whereabouts. And she's like, that's fine. And she gives her phone over and they're able to tell that um, 
information had been deleted from her phone, but at that point they weren't able to get to the deleted info. So they, the detectives just start to break her down and she gives the name Shanador Rice. Shanador is a man who was at the party and Nikki said he made her feel uncomfortable. Shanador was arguing with William and his girlfriend Mariah at the party. And the only thing that Nikki knows about Shanador is that he had recently moved to the um, nearby city of South Haven. So after the murder, he moves to South Haven. Shanador is called and he willingly goes to the South Haven Police Department to speak to the detectives. And the detectives tell Shanador that they know what happened and they just want to tell him why it happened. That's a regular trick, they say. We know what happened, just tell us why, but they don't know. But Shanador, he stays quiet. And they do show him a picture of William and the only reaction he has is that for him to ask, who is that? And when the detective says, it's William Gray, he says, oh, that was his name? And that was the only thing he says. Then he decides to open up. He starts to tell the police that William attacked him with a knife. Shanador tells the police that he was high on alcohol and meth at the time. And he admits to being at the party and fighting, but said that he, um, that he did it because William attacked him. So Shanador admits to hitting William with his fist repeatedly in the face, but he said, I had no weapon. It was it was William that had the weapon. Shanador does talk about Australia White, Willite, from her Will Height, from her home that was swatted earlier. So we remember Australia. Australia thought that William might have a lot of cash at his house because he was a loan shark. So she defies the devises plan to assault William and get the keys to his department apartment and then they can search it. And he said things spiraled out of control and they killed William. He also said that. Australia was the person who led the efforts to clean up the crime scene. Shanador said that she was holding a gun on everyone and giving orders on what to do next. He also admits to parking William's car in the, he says, oh, we put William's car in this hospital's parking garage in Detroit. So investigators take Shanador into custody and then they drive him to Detroit to locate the car. Because for people who don't know, Kalamazoo and Detroit are two opposite sides of the state. Yep, he ends up directing them to this actually abandoned house and the car is hidden behind the house and William's body was found naked, wrapped in a blanket with his hands and feet bound and it had been really cold so he was literally frozen solid. So Shenandoah was charged with and found guilty of second degree murder. He was given a sentence of 50 years max and minimum 20. The open murder charge was dropped against Australia White. And she was ended up being charged in as an accessory after the fact to a felony. And for that, she was sentenced to two years and or for a minimum of two years, maximum seven years and six months. So Australia also had a felony weapons charge, which she was given two years flat for. And the um, M Live article is like, oh, she was given a four year sentence, but it could be up to seven, to be honest. <coughs> Sorry, COVID. So the reason the murder charge was dropped was because. Shanador tried to withdraw his guilty plea and he changed his testimony about Australia's role in the murder. And without his testimony, there wasn't enough evidence to convict Australia. And Shanador said, look, I thought that he he tried to like go against his lawyer. He said, look, I cooperated because I thought I was going to get a lower sentence. You know, I told you what happened, blah, blah, blah. And then I got this sentence of 20 to 50 years. And he's like, and um, I'm going to fire you because you told me to do this. But really, it was self-defense. And so they couldn't charge her of anything. And so the detective, he, he does get found guilty, though. He does 20 to 50 years. So the detective at the end says, oh, this case is memorable because Australia had worked to intimidate the witnesses into not speaking. 
Because remember, she called that one woman naked, Nikki repeatedly trying to get her, you know, to scare her. Yeah. And she did that to a lot of people. But the thing that struck me were how many people talked to the cops. Right. Like that one neighbor was like, yeah, I heard he was dead. And they're like, who'd you hear it from? He's like, my friend. They're like, will you call your friend? He's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You don't normally see that. No, I mean, truly, everybody cooperated except for the people that were like there that night that she was trying to scare. And even those people ended up cooperating. So it didn't work. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. So honestly, I have one um, for next week that I'm going to do. One that I read in a book, not off the Discovery Channel, which I know is weird at this point. Right. Yeah. But it honestly has a twist. And I read it in a book and I love everything about it. I think I'm going to do one on... Jessica Kelsey. Okay. Her brother kills her. Oh no. Yeah, but it's it it's really strange. And I found it backwards. You know, normally you find the case and you kind of hear about the murder. Yeah. But this is opposite. I stumbled upon recordings of him talking to his dad when he was in prison before he was went to went through his court case and stuff like that. Really? And just the things this dude said. Oh no shit. One of those he's a little touched. Yeah, it's really it's really odd. Okay. All right. So Mike, we'll do two weird ones next week. So two weird ones unless COVID steers me in another direction. True. (laughs) Yeah. When I was reading this story, I was like, ooh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So great. All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.